Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming for the Cat Cave in Providence, Rhode Island. What do I even say about today's guest? What a fucking honor to actually talk to Jeff. Such a nice fucking dude. I'll tell you how I basically became aware of his work. I was on iTunes one day, and I was typing in something. I think I was typing in Going Off Track or Jonah Bear, and saw that Jonah Bear, who has been a guest on the show, was a guest on a podcast called Worst Gig Ever. Anyhow, uh, I looked Worst Gig Ever, the podcast, and so I downloaded the episode because I, you know, you, if you see a guest, you know you listen to an episode, and I just go look through the rest of it, and all of a sudden I'm seeing like Julie Klausner, Freddie Madball, people from Taking Back Sunday, Midtown, like it was just like everything I fucking love of everything I kind of always want this show to be. Uh, comedy music, the type of comedy I love and the type of music that I love. And uh, Jeff, turns out, he's got his foot in both. He played in two influential bands, uh, Orchid and Panthers, which I bet there's some people out there who might know who they are. And now he does a fuck ton of stuff with the Upright Citizens Brigade, UCB, for those who aren't in the know. And uh, it's fucking it's fucking nuts. He, I, I, so I was listening to this podcast a fuck ton. And all of a sudden, I hear I've heard him reference he was from Connecticut, and then one day he mentioned something about Mad Mike Super Video, which is kind of where I grew up around uh, near Meriden, was in Wallingford. And also, I, I just basically was following him and uh, Mike Pace on Twitter, and I just started asking him questions about Connecticut. And I was like, "Dude, would you do the show?" And he said yes, and because he's fucking nice, fucking awesome dude. I this guy does a fuck ton, so you can find him online. If you just type in Jeff Garlock to Google, Jeff Garlock into Google like I did, the first thing that come up will be his uh, UCB comedy page. So you can find him on there. You could check out his Tumblr, which is just uh, Garlock.tumblr.com. He's on Twitter at G Garlock, and his new band is called Low Estate. They're really fucking good. Uh, this is such a great episode. It's really the Venn diagram of everything I'm interested in. It's just like. This weird old school hardcore emo punk scene, and then weird alt comedy. And uh, Jeff, man, that dude knows more obscure bands. I mean, there's some of the st- I caught some of his references, but there's a lot of stuff that goes over my head in this episode. But it was just so much fun. I mean, he's a composer. He does freelance for Weekend Update. Uh, but you know, we honestly, it was fun to talk about music and comedy and his transition and. Kind of what it's like to, you know, he's like, he's a teacher at UCB. You should go and take a class with him. And uh, I, I think that's such a fascinating thing to think of that, like what a college professor or UCB teacher, or someone who gets to teach or you have to hone your craft and then teach. And hopefully you're teaching these people to go on and do bigger, better things in your field. Uh, Jeff is doing this for comedy. So, I mean, he's going to work with people who might be the next fucking Amy Poehler or things of that nature so it's kind of an i i think that's really fascinating but what a what a wonderful conversation uh by the way this is a free podcast so if anyone out there who's a musician or a comedian this is a perfect episode to listen to uh of how to do it and how to balance your life and do and follow your passions quick plug for the show you can find us on the misfitsnetwork.com which is uh the website for the, the show it's our wonderful podcast network check us out on the itunes stitcher wherever you find po- uh well, once Google is released their podcast, we've been approved. Yeah. And I uh, will be having some uh, news probably in the next couple episodes. I'll be, uh, be a guest on a couple more podcasts that should be coming out this week. 
And uh, if you haven't already, please do me a favor and leave a review on iTunes. Uh, that stuff actually helps big time, and I appreciate it. Anyway, this is a wonderful episode with Jeff Garluck. Oh, also check out his podcast, Works Gig Ever, and the web series they did. And I'm gonna. My next goal is to get Mike Pace on here because I just I fucking love that podcast. I listen to it a ton. I'm rambling. Let's get to it. It's funny, uh, so I found your wonderful podcast, which is now, by the time I found your show, Worst Good Ever, it was actually already over. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works <laughs> that's, <laughs> for that, everything that's... that I've done in my life. Yeah, but you know, I found your show in such a, I, I feel bad for you guys, because you guys obviously put a ton of work into that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found it in a way that you had nothing had nothing to do with either you or Mike's. Um, I was typing in something into iTunes, mm-hmm. something like I accidentally deleted "Going Off Track" and I was right. re-downloading it, and I saw you guys had Jonah Bear on, and like I've had Jonah on this show, and I was like, oh, all right, click, and then I looked through the list of the people you guys have on, I was like, holy shit, this podcast is my soulmates because I love every. <laughs> you guys had. In a quick 100 episodes, you guys had fuck quick. Uh, in 100 episodes, you yeah, somehow ran quick. the gamut of like everybody. Yeah, we tried our best, uh, and I, I, I'm, I think that was part of why we kind of decided to wrap it up. We we're starting to feel the burn of how you know how much work it is, um, and had felt like we had gotten to talk to a lot of people that we were really psyched on. A lot of people I watch on TV right now. Mm-hmm. Right before yeah. they were on TV, I, I don't know the time frame when you guys did your show, actually, but like, I was listening to the one with the Broad City people, girls, right? And it was like they were just doing a pilot of Comedy Central in that episode. Yeah, they were right. They, I think they had just lost with Spike or whoever it was with FX, before. I think. Oh, FX, right? Um, uh, and yeah, and I, I just knew Abby and Alana from uh, UCB, so it just kind of made sense to have them on. Uh, Again, it was like that was kind of one of those like, oh, right. Yeah, they're just, you know, kind of uh, friends like from the community. So um, and then, yeah. And then Broad City became Broad City. Uh, but, yeah, that was the thing. We just we we end up talking to so many people that we were so psyched on. And by the end, when it was like, you know, we had talked to Freddie from Madball and Taylor Negron. I was just like, well, we're kind of we're, we're doing it. We did it. <laughs> Maybe it's time to wrap it up. When you get a uh, Freddie Madball and Julie Klausner, I'm like, right. no, there's not a lot of people. Who, not there should be, but there's not enough people who know who those two people are. Right. Well, uh, yes. Welcome that, to uh, every day of my life teaching at UCB, where I'm like, y'all should know who Madball is. Yeah, the Venn diagram of like this world, like, um, is not as big as it should be, because like in my head, it makes so much sense. Right. Yes. I was uh, like, wait, of course, guys, it's the same thing. But then I remember being in the, in it and being like, I think the only comedy uh, overlap I had growing up in my time in Connecticut, which we were years apart, so I'm interested to hear your version. Like Neil Hamburger was like the one comedy crossover I would see. Like he would do stand up. Uh, right. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I didn't see any crossover. Uh, yeah. The closest was. Oh. Fuck, what was his name? There was one, Isaac Ramos was his name. 
uh, and he, uh, my buddy Pete, who was in uh, this band, Edel, no, he was in Sinaloa, um, uh, and then he uh, put out Edel Vry. He d- used to do a fest called Tin Can Full of Dreams, which was a great fest um, in Massachusetts. And he was trying to do different things. I remember he booked this guy, Isaac Ramos, who was like the punk rock comedian. Uh, and then he ended up doing some band called Dog and Pony Show in Brooklyn. That was like, it was like a, it was like a hip hop group, but the guy couldn't rhyme. So anytime <laughs> he like rhymed, he would get like, like Isaac would like hit a siren or something. Uh, but I just remember that was like the only time it really, I felt there was a carryover in hardcore besides just like, People generally were funny. Like if I gravitated towards people in hardcore is generally because they were funny. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, I still remember like, I think the first time I ever watched Mr. Show was at like the Palaka house, like the like true north reverse. Oh, got a truck going by. Perfect. Uh, oh, in Florida, like the, it was like the, it was a true north house, but it was like all the guys from Palaka and reversal man and combat wounded veteran. Um, and they just had a bootleg of Mr. Show. And like, I mean, I was always a comedy fan, but yeah, th- there wasn't much of a crossover, uh, which was part of why I think it took me so long to do comedy. Um, uh, and I, I didn't do any in college, uh, you know, high school, I did acting, but uh, it just it felt like such different worlds. Uh, oh, totally, totally different world. Well, yeah. And felt kind of embarrassing too. Like it was just to say, like, oh, and I'm gonna do comedy in whatever version. Like the acting wasn't embarrassing. Well, it at least my high school it was. I mean, it was to an extent, but like, no, it wasn't actually because like you guys had James Vanderbeek, right? Exactly. Like we already had like James go, but like also like we didn't really have any hardcore kids, and I didn't give a fuck about my high school. Like I kind of hated my high school and like acting like got me out of high school. Like I went to, uh, ECA, which was, uh, in New Haven, uh, Hartford, uh, New Haven. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, It was educational center for the arts. And like, so my senior year, I would leave high school halfway through the day and then me, and then actually the singer of orchid and Panthers was also involved. Uh, that's amazing. uh, And we would go do acting. Uh, we went to those kids. Um, we had, but there were no hardcore kids. Like we were kind of like, there was a couple hardcore kids before us, we didn't really weren't super involved in the scene. And then, like, honestly, like it was like we, me and my like I had a high school a Connecticut hardcore band called Switch Stance. Um, and we would play with, you know, every show. Like, that's what we did with our time. And like we were kind of the first like crew of hardcore kids in Cheshire. So, uh, yeah, because we would like on the weekends, we would just go play shows with Fast Break, Tenfold, Some of All Fears uh all the time ground zero hate breed like kind of non-stop uh did you ever play with voice of reasons and those bit dudes uh yeah yeah Yeah. uh we play voice of we did we ever actually i think we did play with voice of reason a couple times um yeah we would play a lot in like east and and western mass like right right over the border with this band line of fire uh and then this band barrett uh and and yeah, like in and like the pre kill switch engage band. Like it was all these like Oh yeah, Howard was from Waterbury. Yeah. So like That's I remember right. he nice like really played nice a show dude. with Driven, which was his band before Kill Switch before he joined Kill Switch and bef- and Driven became Blood Has Been Shed. Uh oh, but I remember right. playing some basement show with him at some like parents' house and he, he was, was like always oh, really we- fucking nice. 
Yeah, he was super nice because he was he was like giving us shows. He was like, you should play this show with Toxic Field Mice. And we couldn't do it or for whatever reason. But we would have done it because we were just like high school band. We would drive anywhere like we play Pearl Street and Northampton area. And um, but yeah, we played Connecticut. But yeah, the acting thing was always still fine. Like, I guess we just didn't talk about it in at hardcore. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so- shows when we we're hanging out the tune in, I didn't kind of talk about, you know doing scenes from Macbeth or whatever. Is uh, that part of your life days. now too, though? You do comedy and don't talk about the music days as much? Yeah, and a lot of, I mean, like, it comes up, but, like, it's hard to talk, like, because also, like, it's hard to explain hardcore. Like, into, yeah. like, because even Panthers, like, obviously wasn't, like, a hardcore band per se, but we still, like, like, that people can maybe understand what we did when we were in Panthers a bit more. But like, I think most people like involved in comedy, like depending on who they are, like kind of just imagine you're like in like a rock band, like you played like club shows. Yeah. Just big festivals all the time. And like went on the end, like, and we toured nonstop and we played big shows here or there, but like we weren't, uh, like, you know, like I'm friends with this guy, Matt Rubano, who does stuff at UCB as well. But like he's also like was the bass player in All-American Rejects and taking Holy back. Holy shit. Yeah, so, yeah. I've heard that dude on a bunch of different podcasts. Right. So like when Wait, but which, even like and even though he like lived in kind of the same world, like, you know, because like taking back Sunday at least came from this world. Yeah, yeah. Extent. That's more but my he era. also played huge festivals like in like played like was on a bus like i was just in a band and yeah uh so either way like it kind of it it never really translates and it's it feels a bit like when you're like working a temp job like where you're just like just don't mention it it's just easier to just not mention that i played music uh for a very long time um because it just the conversations feel awkward um when you have to explain the difference between hardcore and punk and metal and everything, it's just like, it's just easier this way. Uh, we're both um, from Connecticut. Cause I love, I was, I love worst gang where I kind of binged it mm-hmm. uh, the last like few months. And then, uh, but I kept hearing you making Connecticut references. And then it was the other day. I was like, man, Mike super video. That's like real fucking close to where I grew up. Yeah. Like where miles. did you grow up? Exactly. Meriden. Okay. Yeah. But I went to high school in Wallingford. Sure. And okay. Then Wait, I which later worked at that Shaw's right by Mad Mike's. Okay. What high school? Lyman Hall. Yeah. Yeah. Lyman Hall. Okay. So you. Uh, but what I year graduated in '02. What year did you graduate? '02. '02. I'm so trying you, to think if you were that one of my first... high school girlfriends. Oh, yeah, you're probably that first round of hardcore kids. By the time I found shows, I kept hearing about how it used to be better back in the day. Well, which is just as I'm sure you've realized too. That's the cycle of every scene ever. Every everywhere UCB does the same thing, and I'm just like it was just better because you were younger. Yep, like, that's just how it works. Every oral, like I made some joke about that once, and my wife is still like, "That's your best one." Where she was, it was something just like every oral history should be alternately titled "It was better when you weren't around," uh, <laughs> which is true. Like everyone so is just like, "Oh, you don't understand how crazy it was," and to some extent, yeah, it was. It was, but it was also just different. Like in, you'd see, uh, I'd see pictures and it would be like 12 people there. Right. And <laughs> that know, was the other like, thing too. Like, <laughs> like I would, like, I always, I remember even when I first got really into Connecticut hardcore, I was like, oh, the year before I got into it was when it was really good. So I was even doing it in high school, like where yeah. I was like, 
oh, those hate breed shows were really good then. Uh, and if I look back, it was probably like, it's just, I would have seen 25 to life 50 more times. Oh God. Were you into like a hundred, no, a thousand, a hundred demons? Under Demon, no, they were like after my time. Yeah, because it seemed uh, like some of the older dudes came back towards the end of my time. Because I was like really into punk and ska, and uh-huh. this like little weird. There's like there was this really blip of like a small weird scene out of this little coffee shop in Wallingford that kind of bled into like a bigger scene that I fell into. What was like, the name of the coffee shop? It was called Planet Bean. I kind of remember that kind of happening. Yeah, I don't even know if it was big. It was more of just because I was my friend from high school who went to the high school that you went to. Uh, I don't know. I think you're probably a little older than I am. So, but like, right. you wouldn't know. But he was like booking it, and then I, I think he did that simultaneously while hall shows were going on, and then I found hall shows. I was like, right, huh? And right. Then we're getting dragged to a Knights of Columbus hall because my friend John was in this bad high school band, and he wanted to talk to the singer of some other band, mm-hmm. and it was the uh, self defense X self defense X, and I didn't nope. know what that <laughs> hardcore or Boston hardcore was or FSU was. Oof. <laughs> any of that stuff and i just yeah i was like huh and it was fucking and did awesome. they fuck shit up yeah well they, no because someone told me it was friends stand united i was like oh that's really sweet yeah not yeah. exactly uh yeah <laughs> yeah we once i remember we once played it's one of my the more infamous connecticut shows but i think it was a switch stance show because like so my high school band was switch stance and then we became all i ask uh and all I asked, like, we did, like, one split with this band, Joshua Fit for Battle. And then, and Jay was in it from Orchid as well. He played guitar, and then I screamed. Uh, and I think it was a switch stand show, because that was basically when we went to college, and we were like, we want to rip off Coalesce and Dead Guy now. <laughs> um, but I, we played a show at the Sports Palace in New Britain, and it was Earth Crisis, Candiria, Marauder, Hatebreed, uh, and made like union union. Uh, but either way, FSU came down to fuck with people and like pulled a gun and started shooting in the air. Yep. Uh, it was right. one of those just like, okay, that's where, that's the scene we live in. Um, not, not to be like that guy. Cause I'm not being this guy, but I do remember going, I don't go to shows anymore, obviously, but I do remember like when you said that lineup, I was like, do they still do shows with that many bands for like five bucks? And cause I remember being like, Oh, five bucks. That's so much money. And now I'm like, right. how would any of those bands make money? No, I mean, I certainly don't think we got anything that night. I it's think. like you you should be happy to play this show, kid. Yeah, I mean, I think also like that was like a pay that show was a payback from Jamie because like Jamie Josta from Hatebreed like booked every show at that time. Like he was kind of the godfather of Connecticut hardcore. Yeah, um, and every and time I've ever talked to him, he has been surprisingly sweet. He's the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, uh, and I'm I, terrified I, of him. I have no idea if he remembers who I am, but. Like, he definitely booked, like, my band Switch Dance a lot. And he, I remember, I think we kind of got that show as a payback because he was, I think Hatebreed was doing a weird small tour of Europe and he sent flyers back to my guitarist and just asked him to flyer the next couple weeks of shows for Connecticut. So then we did. We, like, kind of went around to all the, like, you know, to Phoenix Records and Waterbury and then Trash American Style and then uh, Fifth Dimension, which was a skate shop. Yeah, uh, uh, that uh, this guy Dave Duncan used to run, who was like this hardcore dude. He was in uh, Higher Force. Yeah, I think I, think I remember band. that place. Um, yeah, Fifth Dimension, where I hung out at a lot. Um, there was uh, a record but, store in Wallingford too, Merle's. Merle's, yep. I think we Merle's definitely record rack. There. Phoenix was our main record store. Well, that's because it was uh, the best. 
Yeah, Phoenix was great. The professor was crazy. The guy who ran it, like his, like me and my best friend Eric still make fun of his pricing system uh, and how you never knew what you were paying until you got up there. <laughs> um, uh, and we, we came super close friends with Damon, who worked there. Um, uh, and then like, he like ended up working at the strawberries in Wallingford and then moved back to Phoenix. <laughs> strawberries. Uh, that doesn't exist. Yeah, I know. But I it was like, exactly one of those things, about. Like, that's, that was my strawberries. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. I, was so you, tapes. I probably know Damon from both stores. Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> but it was one of those things too, where like we grew up because we like heard of this mythical place called Phoenix that had bootlegs. And like, I remember like I got there and I bought like a bootleg of quicksand playing at the moon in Connecticut, which was like maybe like pre tune-in club and then like a Fugazi bootleg. And then like years later we came back like during college and Damon had become a fan of orchid. And it was like, wait, you're an orchid chase an orchid. Like he was like kind of weird. Cause he's like, he knew us as dumb 16 year old hardcore. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, but yeah, what were the venues that you would go to for shows? They were all halls. By the time I did it, it was all halls. And then, okay. uh, the Webster and Toads, but mostly Webster, but like, uh, disabled American venues, American Legion, Knights of Columbus, a lot right. of church basements. Do you know, yeah. are you familiar with like, cause you probably haven't lived in Connecticut in a long time. No, but I, my, my mother and father still live there. And then my best friend still lives in Hamden. So oh, yeah. So do you know Manic Productions? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I came up with those crew because I actually booked shows with Mark, uh, and then we he went off to continue Manic, and I was like, I'm going to work for this other production company that fell apart immediately, and Mar- Mark's super great guy. So yeah, anything I was going to pre-Manic shows. God, uh, back then it was Red Scroll Records before the yep. store was there. It was just uh, Josh Red Scroll with his distro table. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but so I'm like, this is like probably 02 to 04, 05. Okay, so my main Connecticut years were... Uh, you were the generation that sounded amazing, but I'm going to guess okay. that we both, we both feel the same. Actually, I will say that I hated the end of my time there because right. I really loved the punk ska stuff. And then it got real bro hardcore. Right. Like, See, and I, because I was in Connecticut, I was into some bro hardcore. I mean, I just, I mean, but it was also like, you know, like Connecticut for me, like really going to hardcore shows was like 95, 96 oh, era. Oh, God, yeah. So you were uh, like the, the, the golden year. It, it would right. be like. You know, I would, cause I would, um, no, sorry, I just did a whole lot of mumbling. <laughs> the thing yeah. I relate to comedy and music, it's, I can only say this to very few people. Uh, there was a show at the Wallen for Knights of Columbus and Hatebreed would show up and do like a surprise set under a different name. It's yep. the same of Louis CK showing up to the comedy cellar unannounced at his, as his height. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes Josta or uh, Sean, those dudes would just be hanging out like local shows. Like, yeah. they, and I'm like, oh, oh my God. And I actually don't like Hatebreed. I, I never liked them at the time. Right. I still don't really like them, but I've uh, always thought they were very I nice people. I love them so much. They're, I mean, partly because I grew up, but I do think, like, for that style, they are the best. There's a reason they're, they came what they are. Uh, yeah. uh, but, but I uh, just loved Spring Hill Jack more. I was sure. like, I, like, I certainly owned a Spring Heel Jack shirt at some point. Yeah, I love ska, like a big time. Right. I still love ska. Yeah, I mean, when I first, so when I first started, really, I so I, I think my first real like show, because like I don't count concerts, like I went to Loud Blues and all that stuff when I was a kid, but my first shows were punk and ska shows, um, and those were generally at the tune in. Uh, like I think the first real show I went to was the Queers and Rancid oh, man. and Brutally Familiar. Uh, which became the pissed. Um, 
and really familiar with like the best band that night to me. They just had a great song called Cops Suck. Um, and then I would go to like kind of random shows throughout, like, because there were like a couple like of the like theater people in Cheshire who like were kind of into like epitaph punk stuff. So like I went to see Down by Law and Black Train Jack. Uh, and like down by law, we couldn't go to see them because the guy had to get home for his curfew. <laughs> yeah, I remember those days. Uh, but then, like, yeah, and then we really started going to hardcore shows, like, really, like, you know, and the tune in was kind of my main haunt. Oh, see, that uh, closed, and I always heard so many good things about it. Yeah, the tune in was great. I mean, the tune in gave Switch Dance my first show. Uh, so the first show I ever played out of many years of playing shows was at the tune in, so I have to thank Fernando for that. Um, and Fernando Pinto is just like kind of the legends. Uh, and I bought all of my stuff from the tune in store. Uh, and I mean, the tune in's just like, they had great hardcore fest. I mean, I also like when I went to ska shows, like I saw, you know, Spring Heel Jack a billion times, JC Super Ska, Nigel Man. Six, um, you know, and then like, I, I liked Can't Say and Thumper at the time. Cause I would like, they're kind of hardcore cause, uh, they just had like bits of hardcore in their ska, which, uh, I wouldn't really be able to deal with now musically, but at the time when I was younger, I thought it was great. Uh, but then when I really got into hardcore, like then it was just like, yeah, like, I mean, like also like every show was semi the same. It's like I saw, you know, like every show we played really was, it felt like it was always fast break, tenfold, some of all fears, ground zero, and then maybe Brace, Overcast played a lot, and I loved Overcast. Dissolve from Poughkeepsie would come. 25 to Life was always playing. Um, and Rick to Life is the first guy, the only guy probably who bootlegged uh, the Switch Dance demo, as he was apt to do. Yeah, that um, sounds like him. Yeah, he, like he, he was, he was like, a he's a punk celebrity for that era. He is, a, he was, and I was always psyched to see his death. And then I remember like seeing, and I was like, we didn't print this on purple paper. Or, like, you know, dub it onto a Radio Shack cassette. I was like, oh, why are you bootlegging this? No one's buying it from us. Um, but, yeah, and Jamie then would book shows all the time. So, like, Jamie Jamie from uh, Hatebreed, like, he was banned from, uh, I remember at the time, or at least that's what I heard, he was, like, banned from the tune-in. Because uh, Hatebreed would, like, start fight, or there were fights that would happen, of course. <laughs> yeah, um, of course. I do remember a 25 to Life show where they played Not One Truth by Hatebreed. They were just doing covers of Hatebreed songs, and maybe Jamie kind of got up somehow. But either way, uh, and then he ended up booking at a lot of great places. Like, uh, there was a place called Maxalunas in Plainville, which, like, was a weird, like, kind of bro-y club, but they would let him book shows there on Sunday night, Sunday, like, matinees. Um, and, like, we were going to play with Chokehold and Hatebreed there for one of Chokehold's last shows. Oh, man. But then Chokehold couldn't get through the board or something, so we ended up still playing. But it was like with Overcast and Hatebreed, I think. Um, he also booked that the the show that I was so psyched on at the time, Bloodlet and Dead Guy were going through on tour, and like he gave us the opening slot on that, and like those were two of my favorite bands, um, and still are like two of the bands in that world of like kind of like hardcore that I still like think are worthwhile. Like I'm just like musically, I think they're amazing and record wise. Uh, but then he would also book at the Connecticut Bike Exchange, which was, a, I don't even know if it exists anymore. Uh, I don't know. You know where would that be? Uh, it was near Plain. It was maybe in Bristol or something. I can't remember exactly, but it was a, basically it was a skate park um, and you would play in the half pipe. Uh, mm, and so like, familiar. yeah, it, it was changed a great name. Place. Wait, Southington. 
it wasn't in Sunnyside, but it was like in, but it might have been Bristol. I can't remember. Yeah, I feel like uh, it was always like I never understood how we got there, but we played there multiple times. Yeah, that, that's definitely Bristol because you can never figure yeah. out how to get there. Um, Local, but reference. like that's where I saw like Ten Yard Fight, and then like Hatebreed played all the time. We played a whole bunch, like in All I Ask, even played there because I remember that was the show where, like, of course we were doing the coalesce, like swing our guitars around thing, and Jay was playing guitar and he slammed his guitar stock into my face. Oh, and then I was just like bleeding for the last like three songs. You finished the set. Uh, yeah, I mean, because it looked good. So whatever. Uh, <laughs> and then, yeah. And then he would book and then the Sports Palace, which was in New Britain, which was a crazy, gigantic indoor soccer arena. Uh, but he would set up a weird stage at one end of the soccer field. Um, and that a lot of weird big shows would be there. Like, you know, uh, that's where like every like Earth Crisis hate breed show was for a while. Um and yeah, it was just like those were the main venues. Uh and then random, you know, hall shows, uh, like here or there. Um, so the hall scene wasn't existing yet? What was that? Because I, I think I remember learning that all the venues had closed and that's where the hall scene came from, like very much taking it from the New Brunswick taking a page from New Brunswick. Yeah, I mean yeah, definitely to some extent. I mean, there were hall shows then as well. Um it was just there was a brief period where it it, it maybe it was just the myth that we were creating, but in our minds, it, we really were like Jamie holds tight onto who books like and, you know, he was kind of a guy like he's a super nice guy. But it, at the time when we were 17, it was like, oh, you don't fuck with him. Um, yeah. But there was still shit like I remember there was some hall show in Hamden that I went to right when I kind of first started going, that was like hate breed, but it was also this band MK Ultra who are like a great, like kind of power violency band yeah. from, uh, from Chicago area um, uh, and Cornerstone who I loved. Um, um, but yeah, there were some, cause like all I, I think it was like right around like when we started college, which would have been, uh, you know, 96, 97, because we would still go back and go to Connecticut. That's one of the reasons I went to BU was so I could be close to Connecticut in my mind. Um, but uh, we definitely played like a couple hall shows. Like I know we played a show with Jesuit and Unra. Maybe there were just like there was like this one summer where there was kind of like smarter, I thought, like kind of screamier bands. Um, but yeah, and then I think like once that, once kind of, you know, around the time of you is it when it seems like, yeah, Manic Productions started, I was like, oh, that's great. There's someone like kind of taking the mantle, um, in Connecticut. Cause like, but those dudes all started in like Guilford. So maybe that was like simultaneously. Cause it was like kill normal records had a, and then Mark was the imprint of that. I believe, I think right. I have that right. Do you remember like the flaming tsunamis or with honor or that those those folks? No, I mean that all sounds like familiar. Yeah, but... probably right when you were on your way. Like, with honor did pretty good. They went to victory and then of course right. Victory yeah, really and good. I and I I think also like you know when I left like then I started getting more into kind of like the world Orchid lived in of like kind of the DIY like kind of basement worlds a bit more. Um, uh, and you know my kind of worldview of hardcore and then music in general definitely increased. So how many uh, tours did you do? Because I love here. I love I, I never toured, but I had tons of friends who did. Uh, I mean, Orchid did. I joined my last year of college because I was their second bass player. But Jay was the singer and Jay was my oldest friend and still is. Uh, I knew him since seventh grade because he's from Cheshire as well. Um, and then their bass player 
needed to take a semester off. So I came in to fill in on a tour and then kind of stayed in because uh, then I had to record. And that's when we recorded uh, the 10-inch and then a bunch of split 7-inches. And then we recorded the full last full length. Uh, so with Orchid, with Orchid, I think I did three tours. Um, I know I did a tour my senior year where I had to miss the first week or two of my second semester uh, uh, because it's just my schedules were, were off. But I said, fuck it. And I definitely had like a, te- a professor who was like, you should do that. It's a life experience. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, uh, I and, agree. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I mean, the only bummer was I remember there was an independent film class I wanted to take because I was a film major and the guy wouldn't let me take it because he said I'd be missing too much. But wow. these are the sacrifices you make. Um, and then uh, when we graduated, uh, we did a five week tour um, with Orchid. Uh, and that one was like really like a week after I graduated. Uh, I was on tour for five weeks. Um, pre and then phones? we did, what was that? Pre, is this pre cell phones? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pre what they are now. Yeah. No one had anything. Like I, I, I remember I got my first cell phone when I moved to New York right after I graduated and I only got it begrudgingly, uh, because my dad was just like, you need one. I'm not going to have you live in New York and not have a, yeah. somewhere old to you. Cause you're like, I don't want to be tracked. And now I yeah. can't live without it. But, uh, yeah, no, we had no cell phone. So that was just all, you know crazy printouts and calling people from pay phones nonstop. Um, postcards? Let me guess. Postcards to the family for every state? Uh, in theory, but I would never send anyone to anything. <laughs> I've just always had enough issues with them to not. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, and then uh, and then Orchid did one European tour. Um, oh, shit. You got to do Europe. Yeah, yeah. And then with Panthers, I did... So, we, so that was with Orchid. So we did a European tour, which was great. Um... Uh, and the European, I don't remember who we played with exactly, but we played a bunch of festivals and then we played a bunch of random things. Um, uh, and that was great. I was like, that was the first time I'd ever been out of the country, obviously. And then Panthers, Panthers toured a lot. Like Panthers probably did, I want to say like five to six American tours, um, varying from two weeks to five weeks. Um, and then we did a two week UK tour which was a terrible tour, was one of the worst tours I've ever been on, and one day I'll probably write a book about it. And then uh, we did another European tour with Das Oath. Um, uh, and we were supposed to go back, but then we ended up recording our last record. Um, so, yeah, Panthers did a lot more touring for, you know, a lot less people liking us, but whatever. Um, uh, but, yeah, no matter what, I got to... I, yeah, I went to Europe three times. You uh, saw the fucking world, fame. man. Yeah. Uh, and now my life is like, now I'll be like, you know, I go back to places with my wife to try to see them because, you know, tour, you don't completely see them. No, no. Uh, You're like, well, I saw this venue. <laughs> yeah. they And you just were in this fucking shitty venue that smells just like a venue in America. Um, it's, uh, and and if you're in Germany, they great. all stand there with their arms crossed and then, yeah. and then and come tell you Ger- how great you are while they insult you. Yeah. Germany, they're just very straightforward, more so than America. There's like, you did not sound very good tonight. And I'm like, great, thanks. That was really? a good show, but last time you were way better. Yep. Have, you, have you gotten fatter? You're like, uh. Yeah. Well, uh, my, um, my cousin, two, I have two cousins who like, my cousin Sarah was an unwound. I don't know if you knew who they were. They were. Yep. I love unwound. Oh, yeah. That's so my cousin Sarah was the drummer. Okay. I think I just went, uh, whatever her band is now, she played in Brooklyn recently. Yeah, Hungry Ghost. 
Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I, I saw that tour here. Yeah, it was them with a bunch of the members of Unwound. Oh, a small world. Yeah, because I think I, I went also because I was like, oh, I didn't even realize that, you know, a member of Unwound Band was playing. And then another teacher and comedian at UCB was old friends with her as well. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She If she wasn't such a fucking, uh, what's it called? Oh, fucking people who don't know how to use technology. Sure, Luddite. Luddite. If she wasn't such a Luddite, she would have been on the show about 30 times by now. Right, right. <laughs> she was torn for, with uh, Crane Tucker Band for a bit, right. and then, you know, kids, and now they just do little tours here and there. But, like, sure. the last – I know they went to Japan, and, like, all of the members brought their kids with them. So we were talking huh. – when they, when they played in Pawtucket, which is – I was in Providence, but it's, like, a small little venue next door – Right. Uh, we were hanging out in the daytime, and I was like, oh, we should go to Nice Slice, which is like every – it's like the pizza place for all the hardcore punk kids. And oh, she's like, have the hardcore restaurant. can we go to uh, – can we get some vegetables? You know, being yeah. like in your 40s on tour sounds way different. It's like, am I having some gastro issues? <laughs> Just, yeah. It, it is uh, – every year that tour would happen, uh, it would get – Harder and harder, like just harder and harder to eat garbage all the time. Yeah, and then they're not. I don't know about Unwound because that was before my time. I doubt they were ever on a bus. Right. I would no. I would guess they were always van and it just they like must have, unless it was like they were doubling up with someone. But yeah, I mean most bands yeah. that I've ever known, no, none of my friends ever made it to a bus. Yeah, I mean we had a couple. I mean when we were on tour with High and Fire, they had like a little bus like with them, but we never. We were just a van following behind so them. Did you have to do those fucking ridiculously long drives because you're the van and they're the bus? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we had one that was. I think we were going from Minneapolis to like Vancouver. Fuck. Like, and it was just straight up like it was what we were dreading. Like we had one or two of those. And we would try to book something like we we booked like two or three off dates because it was five weeks, uh, which was great because High and Fire was one of my is one of my favorite oh, bands. So I was incredible. just like, yeah, I was like, great. This is like and that's what we ended on. That was the last Panthers tour. So I was like, OK, we're ending on a high note. At this point, it's only me and Jay because uh, uh, we had to get fill ins for the other dudes. But, yeah, we had a couple we would try to book. But that one was just like they completely just had two days off for just driving. Um, and I, that was, I broke a little bit on that one. Like it was just like, couldn't know. I didn't know what to do with myself. We didn't stop. We just drove, um, for two days straight. That's it was a nightmare. Awful. When you're touring yeah. in the van with a band on that size in a, like a bus, um, are, do you get to interact? Are you interacting? Like, did you get to get to know those guys? Yeah, we did. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we ended up like, you know, cause you get there at the same time. Uh, and, and you just kind of, the other thing is too, like, I think it was a plus for interacting, like they're great dudes anyways, but also like they're, but they didn't have like a bus, but they had like an in-between, they had this like kind of conversion van. Oh yeah. Thing. So it was a bus. They still had their road manager, their sound guy, like all their equipment, everything. But it was just like this kind of like in-between size. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we hung out with Des and then Jeff, uh, the most probably, but like, in a lot of ways too like they just kind of you know pike matt pike is just you know his own beast so he just like lived in his own world he would just kind of like run in and say something crazy and then disappear and it would just be like all right that was matt pike living up uh, to exactly what i thought he would be uh our guest guitar we had a, our buddy josh anzano who was uh in this band titan who were amazing 
Um, and he was uh, filling in on guitar and he hung out with them a fair amount, mostly because he was like came on tour in a mode to like rage real hard. Uh, and so he would like really rage with Pike, like end up at like strip joints and do all the yeah. kind of classic stuff. And then I'm I have always been the straight edge vegetarian guy. Like, so I was just like, yeah, I don't know, whatever, man. So I would hang out with Coliseum the most. Um, I remember that band. They're fucking awesome. Yeah. Coliseum. They're still great. around. What was that? Are they still around? Yeah. Yeah. They've uh, they just put out a record. Not yeah, so long yeah. ago. United yeah, they've been putting out records ever since. Uh, yeah, Ryan from Coliseum's uh, an amazing dude. Uh, I still, whenever they come into town, we always try to connect. Um, and then like Mono were super nice, but they were all, you know, they're Japanese. So like, oh, it yeah. was just, there was a language barrier. Like it was, they were super, they were great. Uh, uh, but it's just, you didn't have long conversations with them because I didn't know Japanese. Uh, that's and that's on me. They knew more English than I knew Japanese. So, so your transition, I know, like you've probably told the story to death of how you went from music to comedy. But at what era were you working for the record label? Is this comedy era? You worked for Electra? Is that correct? Uh, no, I worked for Arista Records. Arista, that's what I meant yeah. to say. Let's, yeah, no, uh, fuck it, I got it wrong. It's it's yeah, cool, no. folks. I worked at Arista. Uh, I worked at Arista right at right, not right when I graduated, but not so long after I graduated college. Um, uh, and it was like, so it was like right when we were like transitioning out of Orchid, like we did our kind of final tour and then ended up doing one final European tour. But then Panthers had just started. So we were just starting the kind of life cycle of Panthers. Um, and really with Arista, like I didn't plan on working for a record label. Uh, I just like I started getting temp work and like I, I you know, like I went to school for film, minored in philosophy didn't really want to do production work. Uh, kind of, I think in retrospect, knew I kind of wanted to do comedy, mm -hmm. but didn't know how. And like in college, I didn't join any of the like, you know, out of BU, we ended up having like Pangea 3000, who were an amazing sketch group. Um, uh, and they kind of started BU and then came to, and I ended up becoming great friends with all of them. But now they're all like, you know, Seth works for, uh, Seth Meyers and then, you know, Arthur works for Fallon. But either way, um, I never did any of that stuff in college. So all my films were just kind of sketch comedy, I realized in retrospect. Long story short, I needed money. I was uh, living in a loft in Dumbo before it became nice uh, with like 18 other people. And uh, my friend realized, like, told me that there was a temp agency that specifically did music related stuff. So I just kind of went through that and then ended up getting like a bunch of jobs at BMG for a while. I worked in like payroll and then ended up getting this like short term, like two week job that led into being there for two and a half years. Now, um, what year is, is this pre Napster? Uh, would have been right when Napster was like just starting because I can remember sitting in the loft, like looking at Napster and downloading oh, something terrible. So you Probably, got like, to be at one of the fucking coolest places to be at that time. Other like. You're young, so you're like, fuck, yeah, Napster. And then you're seeing the, the Giants being like, oh, boy, there goes our money. Uh, a little bit. I mean, and I don't think – I was there at the time when they weren't recognizing. They were still idiots. Still like, in it was, denial. Did you ever yeah, read like, that great because, book? Like, I was, so I was at Arista right when 
uh, right when Avril Lavigne's first record came out, right when Pink kind of did her record, Whitney Houston's comeback record, Boyz II Men's comeback record. Oh, let's get real. Whitney Houston never left. Let's get this straight. <laughs> that is true. But it was her comeback. Like, I, I <laughs> Money-wise, it was her comeback record, yeah. and they were constantly like, why the f- Like, we're blowing all this money on her. Um, because I worked in A&R admin, which just meant like, basically I was there because they, they brought me in for two weeks because they were backed up on bills that they needed data entry basically. Yep. Uh, and then I ended up just doing that. Like I basically just like made sure the bills were getting paid out of their budget. Uh, so that's why I think I probably talked about it on worst gig. Like I remember having to pay like boys to men's fat camp bill, um, fat camp. Yeah, because they had like her having a comeback and they were just getting a little bit larger. Uh, and and it was just... like couched in another term. But I remember my boss at the time was just like, it's fat camp. Let's just call it what it is. So you were yeah. like a DIY kid and then seeing that and you're like, huh. Right. And and that was the other part, too, where it was like the whole time I worked at Arista, I kind of was just like, this is not like I'm. I'm not, I don't want to say artist, but I was like, I'm a musician and I'm working for the wrong side right now. Like I'm like working for. This like paying billions of dollars for car service bills. Um, for artists that could afford a car service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While and I was screwing get, over multiple other artists. Right. Uh, and I would get so annoyed at mastering. That was the thing that bummed me the most. Like they would master every mix of a single. And I would just be like, just listen to it and decide if you want to go with that one. Like you're wasting so much money on mastering everything. Well, what do you mean by mastering? Mastering is just mastering is essentially the final step in a recording process. Oh, so yeah, it's the yeah, final okay. thing you do, but they would do the final step for literally every single mix of a song. Oh god. So the mastering bills were just so much cuz they wouldn't decide and also that was a weird time like it was obviously pre like pre-internet being able to do what it does now. Like they had to pay like hundreds of dollars every time they wanted to send the song from the studio to Arista quickly like being like within a day because it's like no one had internet speeds that you could just now where we just throw an mp3 into an email oh yeah uh, i had um are you familiar with washed up emo uh i believe so the guy who runs that tom awesome fucking right. he's a really great guy i think you and him would be friends. he works at sony but he <laughs> was telling me i think i forgot what label he was working at the time where he had to like over get a song overnighted to la right. to get him on guitar, guitar hero and that isn't that long ago and, and he's just kind of his whole story was about the backwardness of the industry of like he's like guitar hero you remember when that came out i had to overnight a song to fucking guitar to get on guitar hero yeah so like yeah. they were so late to the fucking game just like everything was late and it was infuriating but then at the same time i was doing panther so i was trying to get that started and like figure yeah. out what the hell i'm doing living in new york and like i don't have the safety net of college and like i'm starting to think about comedy but don't really know and i you know and so finally i you know and, and then luckily like in the beauty of working at arista was that i could leave for tour like because i was a temp i didn't have any benefits i just got paid shit money 12 bucks an hour uh and uh i would basically just be like i'm gonna be gone for three weeks uh and and i distinctly remember one of my bosses just being like are you asking me or are you telling me and I was like, well, I'm going, so it's That's your decision. Amazing. And they're like, okay, just let us know when you're back. Uh, until finally they let me go, which was so nice. Because also the best part was I got unemployment then. Oh my and God. then I was able to go on tour and uh, call in 
uh, my unemployment while I was at people's houses around America. Well, uh, so you got to tour with a little income, so actually... Oh, best time of my life. It was the best. That does sound <laughs> was, amazing. Yeah, it was great. Like we said at the beginning, you're from uh, Cheshire. Do you know uh, Sean Clemens? You guys are around the same age, both yeah. Cheshire guys. Sean Clements and I, uh, so the first sketch team that I was put on, this first house sketch team at UCB, uh, I was put on with Sean Clements and then another guy named Joe Spellman, who's also from Cheshire, Connecticut. Yeah, the guy in the, because, uh, uh, jo- what's his, I just said his name. Uh, he's Yeah, he was a guest on this show. It hasn't aired. Actually. Okay. It turned out our moms were together and got us oh, on. There um, you go. It, yeah, Carrie, Sean was like a year or two younger, so I didn't know him, but I was in the same grade as his sister. Yeah. But it just happened that we both, like, he was just like, so, three Cheshire dudes. Like, we just weirdly were put together. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Sean and I are still friends, like, and he's he's a great writer. He's like, you know, obviously. He's on the grinder right now. Know. Yeah, uh, like, I just, I was out in L.A. like maybe like six months ago, and we hung out a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, Sean's the best. Like I said, he was like, you know, my first real team uh, and my first, like, really doing stuff at UCB as a performer was with Sean. Uh, I love um, – I used to – when I was in college, I would watch that Snapple Caps video. Yeah. Like, a hundred times. And for, when I – he was on here, I actually – when I found Worst Kick Ever, like, a month ago, I thought you were the guy from that video. And oh, was, Spellman? You know, yeah. Just because of the Spell- hair? Yeah, he's the other one. He was the other guy from Cheshire who was on the team. Uh, yeah, yeah and, I think – and I for some reason I was like, I wonder if that's the same guy, but it turned out it's not. Yeah, no, we share a same the same look. Uh, even white my guy. mom says that. So, um, white guy uh, from yeah. Cheshire that people from Meriden actually like. Yep. yep. Yeah, we didn't. Your, your town didn't have a good rep growing up. Like I'm not. I I don't really. I didn't really go there ever, and just I don't know. I went to a show in Cheshire once. Did you guys know you did shows at like Cheshire Academy once? Did like a for the public. Oh no! Was, what was the show? N- no one worth note. Okay. I could maybe uh, Roverdale, like one of those okay. kind of things. Yeah, no, the only uh no, I we I never saw that. I mean, the only show that I know that was in Cheshire was I did one in my mom's basement once. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just there was some there was some like Midwestern emo band like kind of like, you know, early J Tree oh, yeah. style called MIJ that was coming through and they needed a show, so it was like them, my band, all I ask, uh, this band Tipping Canoe, who were amazing from Western Mass, who kind of sound like Shopmaker. And then I did, we did like a fake, uh, straight edge grindcore band called the Mossad, uh, <laughs> that just did a one off show. But I just did it in my mom's like furnished basement. Um, it was a weird the, show. I used to love the Western Mass scene. And then same thing, got a little intense. Sure. It was a solid scene. Yeah. Uh, there's some good, did a like, lot of uh, shows there. A lot of Scott. Remember, the, I don't, did, you, did you ever go to the Flywheel? Was that around for you? Uh, I, did I play? I think we played Flywheel, the first version, because the guitarist of uh, Orchid and now Ampere, and then we did a band called Ritual Mess together. He lives still in that area, and he, he plays there a lot and then books stuff at Flywheel a lot. Oh, uh, I didn't know it's still around. That's so cool. There's yeah, yeah. It's a, it like it a, moved, and it became like a bigger place. Yeah. And like, it's a whole collective now. And, um, God, what was yeah. it? Flywheel's still kicking. Infamous Jake and the Pinstripe Mafia, like such a ska band. Yeah, Not, that's they such weren't a big. Snap. It's like that you that you knew about Snapplecat facts and uh, watched that. Um, yeah, like obsessively, yeah. like and and wasn't into like comedy like I am now at this point. I just remember finding that on YouTube because it was YouTube. I remember watching Derek comedy and that on YouTube and like Lazy yep. Sunday on YouTube. You know, yep. it was like oh six, no oh seven, oh yeah. eight. So like YouTube that would be is what the it was. Comedy on YouTube, really. I mean, Derek. 
You know? mean, yeah, they were the ones that really did it for me. And then yeah. it was like this weird full circle. My mom was like, this is like literally this. This is actually a few months ago when Sean was on. Um, my mom is telling me, she's like, oh, my, my, someone I work with, her son has a podcast too. I'm going to tell her about your show. Like, mom, my show's little. doesn't matter. Whatever. <laughs> she's like, have you ever heard of the show called Hollywood Handbook? I was like, yeah, mom, I listen to that. Oh, so-and-so's <laughs> mom does that. I'll put you guys in touch. I'm like, please, please don't do that. That's awkward. That's and funny. Sean, yeah, Sean's a great guy. He's so uh, fucking nice. It took us about a year to make it happen. Yeah. And then – uh technical difficulties it will never air sadly oh that's sad <laughs> he's gonna come back so i'm still waiting for it but i felt oh, okay. so terrible but he was so fucking nice yeah he's a good guy it's just Wait, weird well, when before your mom I tries forget. to brag about you and you have no i'm like mom there's nothing to brag about here before i forget what was the uh because you mentioned it what so what was the attitude about cheshire i like hearing about oh it was um no offense to you personally but it was terrible okay. Um, House, Cheshire would be if this is the the outsiders because that's I don't know why that's the reference I'm going we were for. The socias. You were the socias, and we would sure. be, even though we were on the nice side of Meriden, we would still consider ourselves greasers. But in reality, we we're probably not at all. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Especially, uh, I mean, I, I hated Cheshire. Yeah, and I, I get that from your podcast. Yeah, which I, uh, I, I, but we were I was on the Wallingford borderline, so I like Wallingford was our rival, and Cheshire just didn't seem to exist. Uh, okay, yeah, I mean, my dad was the one of the high school football coaches, and oh yeah, you, uh, you were in high school. I remember like, drive, you guys had a really good park. I dated a girl from Cheshire that could. Oh be, really? Maybe. Well, I don't. She was from somewhere else, but lived in Cheshire for a while. Oh. And I dated crazy. someone from Wallingford, and that's why I was at Mad Mike Super Video all the all time. All the time, and she worked there. <laughs> Yeah, she did. I don't remember anyone from that era, so. Yeah, she worked there. I had to, the, I used to, I probably told this at some point on the podcast, but I used to have to go and uh, uh, she had to restock the porn room. Uh, I and, never got to go in there because it closed before I was 18 and I spent my uh, whole uh, youth. I only, to... I would go, I would go to pick her up and I would go in with her because like creepy dudes would like try to rub up against her. Yeah, that, that room looked like the dream. Oh, it was disgusting. It was so tight. I and, think I had been back there. I remember going there for like laser discs. Yeah, I they mean, really it was bought right. into laser disc. I remember the that. Porn about section that. was right by the cult section, and the cult it section was great. But it, then the yeah. porn section was like there wasn't any normal porn. It was all like fucking golden showers and fisting and like, uh, uh, and it was the worst part of her job. But you know, got good rentals from the cult section. So I remember that? getting a must be a dvd at this point and getting a 311 cd accidentally along with the dvd and my dad making me bring the 311 cd back that i wanted to keep it was the one that was all fire uh, i don't know 311 well enough yeah i do not either but uh your dad blew it for you yeah like thanks bill i think the guy was like oh cool 311 i was like well yeah of course <laughs> it's probably like 18 but yeah. um we it would be remiss not to speak of your world of comedy as well because uh that's the other stuff i love that you i love your show because um uh, excuse me, because like you'll be talking to music to comedy people and they're like trying to understand it. And you'll talk to comedians about music and they'll try to get it. And mm-hmm. I was like, yes, finally. <laughs> yeah, I, I there was something I would always wonder about if I should be going at, like because I can go very quickly, like deep into way too obscure bands and, and records. And oh, then there's nothing more attention. fun than hearing the other people just being like, uh, huh? yeah. It's most of my life, and it's most of my comedic references as well. So, so uh, you must do a killing in the Midwest. Definitely, big time. Like so, um, you are you 
is that like your primary thing now, comedy, and then just a music lover? Uh, it is. I mean, I'm still playing music. Oh, that's uh, awesome. To some extent, yeah. Like, I mean, like I did. Uh, you know, after Panthers broke up, we did this short-lived band called Dark Vibe. Uh, that was with two of the guys from this band, Baron Heaven. Um, and that was like a metal band. Uh, and then uh, I did a uh, two-bass grindcore band for about a year uh, called The Year Is One. Um, again, we would just kind of do it for fun. We would play out a bit. Um, and then now I've got a band with uh, this guy, Brendan, who's in this. He used to be in this band made out of babies um, uh, and Red Sparrows. Um, and then the drummer is in this band Sonnet, who are a really great band uh, who play right now. And uh, and yeah, we've got this band Lowest State uh, that we uh, have, you know, a five song EP out. And then we're recording. We're working on a new full length now. Um, and it's a metal band, basically. Um, and then I also do like musically. I just do uh, I also do like kind of solo synth stuff, um, just kind of ripping off John Carpenter and Fabio Frizzi. Um, and, uh, I scored two horror films, uh, oh, wow. from, yeah, there's this guy, Brandon Bassam, um, who's a UCB sketch guy as well that I, you know, have known forever cause we were in classes together and we're both teachers. Um, and, uh, yeah, he made these kind of comedy horror films, uh, that now trauma films who put out toxic Avenger and class Newcomb high and surf Nazis must die. They're distributing them. Um, That's so amazing. this movie fear town USA and this movie, the slashing. Um, and I end up doing the kind of synth scores for both of those. So I'm going to try to put those together. Um, but so, yeah, but I don't tour like I haven't toured since 2007. Um, I really focus on comedy now. Um, you, uh, you're a teacher at UCB right now, which UCB, uh, at UCB Ch or I mean, New UCB, New York. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, uh, and so, yeah, uh, there's two in New York. I've actually, believe it or not, never been. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, UCB New York has uh, the Chelsea Theater, which is the main theater, and then UCB East. Uh, and then we have a whole training center. Um, uh, you know, when I first started, we didn't really have like when I first started taking classes, there weren't classrooms. You, they would just rent out places. Um, and then they you know, opened up an office that had two classrooms that kind of just also served as prop storage. Uh, and like Matt Besser would sleep there sometimes. Oh, my God. Um, so you were around that era? Yeah, I mean, well, so I took classes. Uh, my first UCB classes were improv, and I took them. Me and the singer of Orchid and Panthers, Jay, took them together uh, in 2002, I think. Uh, so a long time ago. And I did three levels of improv. Was like kind of planning on sticking with that. Uh, I really kind of took them because I didn't know how to do sketch. And they didn't have sketch classes. Um, and uh, and then we put out Things Are Strange from Panthers. Uh, and I kind of lost momentum. Uh, we were just on tour a bunch, but not that much. I just kind of lost momentum on doing it and then felt like I had dropped out of school uh, like a baby. Um, and then I took my first sketch class in 2006, I believe. Uh, and I only took a sketch class because my now wife bought me a gift certificate and was just like, stop complaining and being depressed uh take a class you've been wanting to take one um so i end up taking i think one of the first like 10 or so sketch classes at ucb um and uh yeah and then i took classes for a while and then uh right when i was done with 
like basically the core curriculum. Um, I was like, asked my teacher, I was like, what do I do now? And then he's like, well, they're starting these uh, house sketch teams. Um, you should think about signing up for that. And I did. And that was the team I got put on with Sean Clements. Uh, and it was uh, the mod teams. And the mod teams are the house sketch teams. Oh, you guys were on a team together? Yeah, yeah. Oh, what we a fucking small world. Yeah, we were on this team, I Badger, because uh, when they started Mod, because Herald Night is the long form improv night, and those are the Herald teams, and then Mod Night, going off of Herald and Mod, the Mod teams are the sketch teams. So I was on one of the first four sketch teams that UCB had. That was like a consistent monthly thing, um, and we would write a show and then perform it once a month, um, and then and then I kind of continued down that path. Uh, I, I did mod for five and a half years, uh, was on, you know, four different teams. And then a couple years into mod, I started teaching, uh, at UCB. Um, uh, and then, yeah, I've been teaching sketch comedy at UCB for probably three, three and a half years now. Um, I teach, you know, every level 101, 201, 301 and advanced study writing classes, uh, and then, yeah, I, I, I do stuff there a lot. I mean, I did a bunch of shows that had runs there. Um, I did a show called I Laughed Until I Died. That was like a horror sketch show. I did a show called Getting Quaid. That was about me and my friend Emily Strawn trying to get to a Randy Quaid fan convention. Um, <laughs> and then just like, you know, I've just always done stuff. I did a show defending Halloween three season of the witch. Um, and then, you know, throughout done videos and do web series. I did a web series for IFC. Um, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, did a web series for IFC. We've done, we did the web series version of Worst Gig Ever after doing a hundred episodes of that. So we did. Oh, no way. Is that so still available to find? Yeah. You can still get those on YouTube. They're still up. They were through this company, Official Comedy, which, uh, ended up kind of folding, but the, the videos are still up. Um, and yeah, we did seven half hour episodes, um, with, uh, H. John Benjamin, Jake Fogelnest, uh, We Are Scientists, uh, Frightened Rabbit, uh, the Found Footage Festival guys, and then the Gregory Brothers. Um, uh, so yeah, those are still up. The IFC web series is still up, obviously. Uh, it's called John and Jeff Are Married. Um, uh, and yeah. So yeah, I, that really, that's what I do. I mean, I, 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 I teach at UCB. Uh, I, I try to perform as much as I can. I write nonstop comedy, you know, uh, freelance for weekend update freelance for, you know, above average. Um, you know, how does that work? So like that, do you just always submit and then sometimes they take your stuff or do they, uh, for which one for freelance, um, uh, weekend update. Uh, weekend update, uh, I, weekend update, uh, I started doing it last year. I assume I still do it this year, but basically <laughs> they just, uh, send you setups, um, every single day and, uh, you end up like, I submit 10 jokes per show. Um, and then if they use them, then you get paid whatever it is, the nominal fee. Nice. Uh, and so really it's just more practice. It's just like, you know, yeah. I get to kind of work on it, but the nice part is they let you know when things go to dress or if things go to like certain rounds. Have you got uh, jokes on the show? I had, I didn't get any on last year, but I had a couple that went to dress, That's uh, and awesome. got, uh, which is nice uh, to hear. Yeah. Um, and then I know above yeah, average, I just yeah. kind of will write up stuff and send it in. And sometimes I take it for uh, what shows for all of them or, uh, no above average has like the written pieces. 
section. Yeah, because uh, I've just like, I've watched Sound Device. So like, oh yeah, so they've got videos that like the ones like Jonah did, and then uh, Above Average also does like articles. Oh, um, oh, okay. I'm sorry. So I like, I've written just a digital. lot of articles for them. I've probably written like 15 to 20 articles for them. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, like I do, like I do a bunch on there. Like I, I, I had like kind of a semi series of doing ones that were basically like playing off of like bullshit BuzzFeed things, but it would be like the uh, top facts that will blow your mind about Ariana Grande, and and it was just basically me saying I don't understand who this person is and getting confused with everyone. And it would always have the byline of like Jeff Garlock knows nothing about pop culture, but knows everything about metal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I think of the last one, I, the last one that went up was a couple weeks ago and it was like top seven things to do with all of that excess lettuce you get in your CSA. Um, <laughs> oh my God, uh, that was you. I actually saw that one. Oh yeah. So that's I wrote that funny. one. Cause like um, I, I've learned about CSA like a year ago. It's like, okay. That's oh, do you ever, do, do you, dude, you would be so perfect for hard. Do you go to the hardtimes.com? I do. It's a good, it's a, I, I like their headlines a lot. Oh my God. Like I, the one that hit me too close to home was like area man thinks scene stops once they stop going to shows. I was like, yep. Yep. That was a solid one. That, that was, was a, very, I thought that one was dead on. Yeah. They do some dead on headlines. It's great. There's times and you're like, uh, or the, my, I think the favorite one so far is, uh, legendary hardcore brand accidentally reunites in Whole Foods break room. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> you, uh, I feel like you would be so perfect for that website. That is true. Hey, every once in a while, I thought about reaching out to him, but um, but yeah. And so I'm just kind of, I, I like I said, I really just do like nonstop comedy stuff. Uh, you know, is I, your I, wife I, in the field, or does she have like a regular people? No, job my on? wife's a teacher. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, my wife's a teacher, and my wife uh, also writes. I think she's actually doing a podcast as we speak as well. She, uh, my wife's a teacher, but she also kind of writes educational books. Um, so she's got like her fourth book, I think, just came out. Uh, like two weeks ago, um, like, yeah, she's a kindergarten teacher, but she's, uh, a genius. Um, but she's also one of the funniest people I know. Like she's not in comedy, which is great. Uh, I don't think I could date another comedian. So, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's and, smart. but she's funnier than everyone I know. So that's why it, it works out in that way. And she's good. I can bounce ideas off of her. Like I can, you know, uh, and she's, you know, unbiased except for just loving me a lot. So, um, yeah, I love this whole yeah, new generation. Because if I had to compete with another, like I'm already like in such fucking anxiety and competition with myself, and constantly uh, beating myself up that I'm like not far enough along because I spent too much time doing music uh, to not focus on comedy stuff. Uh, if I had to compete with another person. Yeah. Trying to uh, pitch stuff to Adult Swim as well, then uh, I would go nuts. How uh, many of your students have gone on to do big things from UCB? Uh, yeah, a handful. It gets stressful because, I, I mean, that's part of my job. Like, I'm clearly, like, supposed to be teaching them yeah. to hopefully translate this to a job. But then when you're like, oh, you, you know, run HuffPo Comedy now or you are, you know, a writer for The Simpsons or something yeah. like you start to be like, oh, I really should focus more on my own stuff. Stop helping out other people. But uh, I also am apparently pretty good at teaching sketch comedy. Well, it's, so. it's your, your version of being a professor. It is. It is. Uh, but, you know, at a certain point, that professor thinks they need to produce a little bit more. But, yeah, but it, in this we're world, always uh, you, 
all those people should always turn around and hire their professor. Hey, that's what I say, and I one day, hopefully, they well, will. I love uh, anytime I listen to Chris Gethard on anything, because he has yeah. more stories of everyone outshining him than anyone I've ever heard. It's a big thing, but it's also, like, I mean, that ended up, like, I think me and Gethard have a little bit of the same philosophy. Like, my biggest life philosophy, I actually, it's, I, I, I teach an advanced study sketch writing class uh, focused on kind of depressing sketch. Um, uh, and it's, it's, uh, called, and the, the title of the class is learn to love the rope. Um, and, uh, it kind of lives probably in the world that he lives in a bit. And just my brief explanation, learn to love the rope is from this amazing movie called rolling thunder. Uh, I believe from 1977 starring William Devane and Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, and it's about a Vietnam POW who gets released and comes back to his hometown, um, and finds out that his wife has taken with another man. Um, but in that course, uh, he also, these guys come to steal his money in this car that was given to him for being a POW and they end up murdering her and his son and then sticking his hand in a garbage disposal. So he goes on a revenge mission with Tommy Lee Jones and it's a mind blowing movie. Uh, Quentin Tarantino named his production company after it. Either way, there's a scene in it where the guy who's with his wife now ends up like he's been sleeping in a shed because he's so used to being a POW, he can't deal with being in a house. And the guy's like, basically, he's like, you want to know what they did to me in the POW camp, don't you? And he's like, no, you don't have to tell me. He's like, no, no, take that rope and tie my arms up behind my back. It's like, all right, now pull them until you can hear the bones crack. And he's and the guy's like, whoa, what is going on here? And he's basically like, they would do that to me three times a day. He's like, you know how you got through it? You learn to love the rope. You learn to love all the things that they throw at you then the world can't beat you. And like I watched that in a movie theater and I was like, that's it. That's my life philosophy. Uh, and it's, 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 it's a variation on Gethard's fail, fail more. Uh, it's Stephen Colbert just said it in a GQ article, like learn to love the bomb. Uh, you know, I, I think most great comedy is based on life is pretty rough, you know, <laughs> like oh, and yeah, yeah. you're constantly bombarded with, uh, failure you're constantly bombarded with disappointment and especially in comedy and in music it was the same you're constantly bombarded with being usurped by people who you were on the same level with panthers was panthers lived the same life in music as i feel sometimes i will feel that way in comedy but definitely how the way gethard talks like panthers went on multiple tours where the band we were on tour with became big while we were on tour with them like and i was just like do you know what the fuck happens yeah, yeah. I mean, we were we were on a tour with TV on the radio. Fuck. Uh, and we were supposed to. I remember we started the tour, and it was going to be a fifty fifty split because we were co headlining. And then it was just like, uh, I think we're going to take more because we're kind of getting big, and you couldn't fight it. But it was like not so far, like right before the tour started, it was just like okay. And then we did. We watched them like become big. Uh, and then we did another tour with this band, Death From Above, 1979. Yeah, another uh, big band. Yeah, and but at the time, like, we did this Vice tour. Like, we had just signed to Vice Records, and we did this, like, five-week tour, and it was, like, us, Death From Above, and then this band, Vietnam, who ended up getting kicked off the tour halfway through. <laughs> but the idea was, like, we were going to headline America, and then they were going to headline Canada. Even going in, it was just like, we should not be doing this. And it kind of halfway through, it was just like, oh, everyone loves our record more than ours. Uh, and the crowds were definitely bigger for them. 
And it, they were great. They're great. They are a great band. They're amazing dudes. Uh, I love them both to death. Uh, and it's not that it was just like it was just one of those things where you're just like, all right, it's another tour. That's other bands are getting bigger than we are. You guys uh, had uh, the dude from Midtown on, and I just listened to that about two days ago, and um, he had that same story. But man, yeah, that's such a that's such a common story for every band that like I don't like to use the word make it because I think there's very varying level for anyone who gets yes. to that level of success. There's so many people who are so like. You got, yeah, like in this narrow well, because it's like, hard. I think it's also like, you know, Panthers existed during the Brooklyn scene, quote unquote, and like this big blow up. But it like wasn't a, it wasn't a scene exactly. I mean, it, it, but it was just like and so we would sometimes get lumped in. And I think the at least for me, I realize now, like the age I was at, there was a little bit of like there was so much competition that I didn't realize I was doing. And I still do it subconsciously with people in comedy, which I hate that I do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because I was just like, oh, they're making it. Why shouldn't we? But like my it took my wife to be the one to point out, like, even though I did, like, even though I said I did that in music, to some extent, like the difference for me between music and comedy that I'm trying to resolve now is like my wife basically was just like with music, you seem to be fine that there are different levels. You're a lot of times you'll just be like, fuck that band. They're like a big band. They're a studio band, whatever. This is a punk band. They only reach this level. It's fine. But in comedy, you play everyone on the same playing field mentally. So all of a sudden, every you treat like you're on the same playing field. It's like, what? Paul F. Tompkins got this thing. It's just like you're not even in that race, man. Like you're (laughs) comparing yourself to Jimmy Page, essentially. Like, uh, and and you need that like reminder of reality and what Gethard says and what I was saying, I learned to love the rope. It's just this reminder of just like, you know, reality, the reality of it. You know, if you don't let the reality seep in, then you will stop doing comedy, music, whatever is your main thing. Um, and for me, like, that's my my main goal is just to not stop doing comedy, not stop creating, not stop, you know, doing music and being probably too lofty about it all. Um, well, you get to be uh, a career. You get to work in comedy is like your career, man. Like that's. There's someone else at some level, like probably 20 year old starting UCB, be like, if I can just be like a teacher the rest of my life, I'll be so happy just to perform. Like, hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, whatever you have in life, you want more. Yeah, and that's and, you know it's a battle we all face in whatever you know aspect of life we are talking about. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's a good thing. I mean, how you said it, that's exactly how you know everyone just kind of needs to remind themselves, and I need to remind myself of too. It's just like there's always someone who wishes, you know. And, and, and that was it. I remember once my wife too, it's just like, you have to like, I used to be a big complainer. I used to be big, like used to be, I'm still a big complainer, but I had a I was a hardcore kid. I had a lot of fucking anxiety. Um, yeah, yeah, we all did. Uh, yeah. It's just like it. That's, I think honestly, it's like, that's why we were hardcore kids and punk kids and Scott kids is because we were fucking crazy people. Um, we weren't and we to parties. To be in a scene surrounded by crazy people, um, yeah. and crazy ideas. Uh, uh, but like that's it. Yeah, it's that reminder of just like you don't complain about tour shows because there are other people who want to be on tour. There are other people who want to be doing shows, et cetera, whatever it is. And it's just like having to remind yourself of that every day. Uh, and I think that's a good thing to do is to remind yourself of that. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. like uh, where could people uh, find you online? Uh, they can go to uh, – well, I'm Twitter at, at G Garlock. Um, if you go to the IFC comedy crib, 
you can see John and Jeff are married, uh, which is the web series I did. Uh, oh man. I, one day I'll learn my YouTube channel. Uh, I mean, I have a YouTube channel. If you type in Jeff Garlock YouTube, uh, I've got a lot of videos on there, sketch videos. Um, uh, and, uh, and then yeah, lowest state, uh, at Bandcamp, you can get the lowest state record. Um, and then honestly, and yeah, I think those are the main places right now. There's always stuff in the works. Uh, I have a thing on Adult Swim that you can watch. Uh, but you know, I don't need to tout everything I do. Wait, what's uh, on Adult Swim? That's huge. Uh, I did this short, uh, I did a short online thing for, uh, this guy, Captain Murphy, who's the alter ego of Flying Lotus who's this like hip hop guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I made this short with my buddy, Adam, who's an animator there, um, uh, called the birth of captain Murphy and captain Murphy is just this like fake alter ego cartoon character. So we created this kind of cartoon world based around him. Uh, and it's great. I, th- or I'm happy with it. It turned out like crazy. It's like got fucking Cthulhu's tentacle having sex with a volcano and like, uh, Captain Murphy has a video, 80s video game and like a fucking, like a kung fu movie. Um, so yeah, we did this short that's just online and they showed it on Adult Swim a couple times. Oh, that's um, so sweet. I'll put links into this for everyone. Okay. And the intro great. in the front for you as well. Yeah. That and, would be um, great. If you, if it's, if you're cool, I'd love to play like when, uh, your band song at the end. Yeah. If please. you like. Um, play yeah. it up. Okay. Awesome. Uh, uh, and yeah, so yeah, and but then you know, for anything else, there's stuff like I said, there's articles on Above Average, and you know, if you type in Jeff Garlic, there's stuff. But that's the main things right now. And then take a class. If anyone wants to learn sketch, uh, you can come by UCB and uh, take a class with me. Yes, they can. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much for doing this, man. This is such a treat to talk to you because, like, I have been listening to your voice pretty frequently the last few, like, last couple of months. So it's. I like I, I know that you don't know me, but I know I don't know you, but I sure felt like I did because I've been right. listening to you talk a lot. You know the that beauty of podcasts. Yeah, that weird one side relationship you get with people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> awesome, definitely. Uh, well, have a good rest of your night, and uh, I was uh, I was trying to be funny and say get home safe, but I was like, no one else is going to get No one's <laughs> I would have loved it if you did it. Mike Pace would have loved it even more. <laughs> I remembered it, but I was as I started to do it, I was like, eh, no one, it, it's weird. It's really weird. It always <laughs> felt awkward when he did it. So and you, it, you know, it. I have to say from your show, it did feel awkward because he's like, he always Mike would be like, and and the last three words we say to the guest, awkward pause. Jeff, what do we say? And then you guys would say it together, and then the guest would say, he's like, oh, what? Yep. He, uh, I think Mike loved that it, like, he's just a weird showman in that way, but he also, I was like, you try to say it, you try to confuse the guest every time, and he, like, made it his weird personal mission. So, you you? confused me as well, just like Mike did. So, good job. Mike, if you're listening, get home safe. (laughs) Perfect.